Well, God is good. We do sing of his goodness, uh, even at weird times, even at hard times, even when we're sad that we can't be together, we still proclaim his goodness and we still get to use the resources that God has given us to get into his word as we're about to do for the second week of this post-Easter series that we're calling Something New. Because on Easter, we talked about the whole idea that through the resurrection of Jesus, we are given new birth. And then last week, we talked about how that new birth leads to us becoming a new creation. And now this week, we're going to talk about how it also brings us a new perspective. And I want to start just by reading our passage for today. It's four verses in Colossians chapter three. So if you have a Bible and want to turn there so you can follow along, it's Colossians chapter three, verses one through four. Since then... You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you will also appear with him in glory. This is God's word that we just read together. Back when I was in high school, one of my teachers told our class a story. And the story was that there was a motorcycle rider and it was late at night and he had just um, come out of a bar, come out of a restaurant. And he looked up over a hill and he noticed that there were two lights side by side on the road and that they weren't directly parallel with each other. They were kind of jiggling up and down. And so he looked at this and he said, I know exactly what's going on because he was a motorcycle rider. He said, two motorcycle riders are riding side by side on the road. Now it's late at night, but you're really still not supposed to do that. So he thought, all right, I'm gonna play a trick on these guys. I'm gonna get on my motorcycle. I'm gonna turn the headlight off and I'm gonna ride right between them at full speed. Just freak them out, kind of spook them because they really shouldn't be riding side by side like that. You're not supposed to do that. So he turned off his headlight. He went to ride right between them and he ended up driving straight into a semi truck that had uneven headlights. And of course, crashed to his death. And when my teacher told us the story, here's what he said. He said, this is an example of the fact that you can't always trust your eyes. He saw something and so he acted in light of it. And it was funny, as a 17 year old kid, I I still remember thinking that that's not what the story shows at all. The story doesn't show that you can't trust your eyes. He saw what he saw. He saw two lights that were not directly parallel to each other. It's not that he saw wrong, it's that he interpreted what he saw wrong. And that led him to destruction. And the whole idea of perspective is less about the fact that different people are seeing different things and more that different people are seeing the same things differently. And and we have this happen all the time in life. I mean, within a family, you could have five people all on the same vacation or all on a Disneyland trip or all on a hike. And you have five different people all experiencing and seeing the same thing, but having five different attitudes 
about how it's impacting them. Perspective is not when we see different things. Perspective is when we see things differently. And that's why we can all experience things and have a different perspective on them. Um, when we think about the things that we face, the issue is not normally that we're, we're not seeing correctly. We usually are seeing correctly that we face trials in this life. We're not mistaken about that fact. We do face real trials in life. It's not that we're seeing that wrong. It's that sometimes we interpret why we're facing the trials wrongly. It's not seeing things incorrectly to look at sin and to look at the allure of sin and to say sin has something to offer me right now. You're not seeing wrong if you see it that way, but you may be interpreting it wrong if you think, therefore, I should do it right away. You're not seeing wrong when you realize that following Jesus is costly, but you're interpreting it wrong if you decide that because following Jesus is costly, then it's not worth the cost. In Jesus Christ, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are given new birth. And when we get that new birth, we become a new creation. And when we get that new birth, we also gain a new perspective, which again means not that we're seeing different things, but that we're seeing things differently. And the perspective is important because the wrong perspective could lead us to destruction, could lead us to danger, could lead us to horrible decisions that train wreck our lives, just like the horrible decision that led to the end of that motorcycle rider's life. Those of us who belong to Jesus are invited to live with a completely different perspective that sheds new light on all the things that we see around us. And we're gonna walk back through these verses that we just read through, these three verses in Colossians chapter, uh, these four verses in Colossians chapter three. And what we're gonna see in them is that the new perspective that we have because of the resurrection of Jesus gives us a new focus for the present and gives us a new basis for our future. So the way, this is how this passage flows. Verses one and two are where Paul tells us what we're supposed to do. And verses three and four are where where Paul tells us why we're supposed to do those things. So in verses one and two, Paul tells us we have a new focus for our present because of the new perspective that we have. Look back over the verses with me. It starts in verse one by saying, since then you have been raised with Christ. So he starts with where he's gonna end up. He starts with the basis, because you have been raised with Christ, we have been raised to a living hope. We have been born again because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We died with him, as he's gonna talk about later in the passage, and we were raised with him. All of this happens through faith. Since then, you have been raised with Christ He tells us two things. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. He gives two commands, but before getting to the commands, let's just figure out what is it that he's talking about here. He builds a contrast. He talks about things above and earthly things. Set your hearts and set your minds on things above not on earthly things. And so we're not gonna be able to make sense of any of these commands if we don't understand what is it that he's talking about with the things above and with the earthly things. And he gives us a little bit of a clue with the things above because he says, where Christ is 
seated at the right hand of God. Man, this passage is utterly focused on Christ. Since you've been raised with Christ, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds and hearts on these things above before you died with Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, it's all focused on Jesus Christ. So whatever it is that he's talking about with the above things, he's talking about us orienting our focus towards Jesus. And when we orient our focus towards Jesus, towards who he is and towards what he promises us, we're also orienting ourselves towards the eternal instead of the earthly things, which is not just him saying, don't think about the ocean, don't think about hikes, don't think about the mountains. It's him saying, don't think about the things that are passing away. Set your minds and your hearts on the things above, the eternal things, the things that last, the things that matter because they're oriented around God instead of setting your minds on the temporary things that will eventually fade away. Um, There's a lot of ways to illustrate this, but but one of the ways that this just comes to my mind is a conversation that I had with my younger brother about a year ago. And uh, we were talking about our families and I was asking him if there are some specific ways that I can pray for each of his kids. And, and I loved the, the prayer request that he gave me for his, um, his oldest daughter, who's, who's still just a little girl, this, this adorable little girl. Um, and what he said is, pray that she will value godly virtue more than she values the attention that she can get from physical beauty. And I, I thought, first of all, you know, I, I have sons. I don't have daughters. First of all, I just thought, well, gosh, if, if, if I had a daughter, that's definitely the prayer that I would want to pray for her. It's such an illustration of this idea. Pray for the things that have to do with the above things. Pray for her to value godly virtue and the reward that that brings more than the reward that she can get up by playing up her physical beauty. It's a contrast between things that are eternal, between things that are related to God and things that are temporary and just passing away. And we've got to all pause and we've got to ask ourselves, what is it that we're valuing more when these earthly and heavenly things come into conflict? What happens when we run into a conflict between valuing beauty and valuing virtue? When we run into a conflict between valuing security versus valuing generosity, We run into a conflict between valuing money and valuing honesty. Valuing mercy or valuing vindication and getting back at people. Valuing comfort versus valuing compassion. Valuing God's presence in our lives instead of living a self-directed life where we're out on our own. What is it that we're going to value more? There are the above things and there are the earthly things. And Paul says, there's two things that I want you to do about this. I want you to set your hearts and set your minds on those above things, on those things that are related to God, that are related to eternity, are related to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, these two commands, he says, first of all, set your hearts. And the word here that he uses for set your hearts, it's the word that's usually in the New Testament translated seek. In fact, it's the word translated that way in, uh, in Matthew chapter six, verse 33, when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, seek the above things. Another word for this would be 
pursue the above things. Make your ultimate pursuit things that last forever, things that are connected to Jesus instead of the temporal things that may be fine, but they just pass away and don't last. Pursue the things that are above. And sometimes when we think of the word pursuit, maybe, maybe we think of you know, the hot pursuit of a, of a police chase and the police being after the subject. Maybe you think of that nightmare that many of us have where somebody is chasing us and no matter what we do, we can't get away from them. Um, maybe you think about it just sort of in everyday life where, where suddenly something happens and you will stop at nothing to accomplish a task. And maybe in these days when we're all stuck at home, it's as simple as if something's going wrong with the internet. And if something's going wrong with the internet, man, I'm gonna figure it out. I'm gonna call the neighbors. I'm gonna call the phone call. I'm gonna call everybody. I'm gonna make sure I figure this out and I'm not gonna rest until it's done. That's what it means to have a pursuit. Paul says, make your ultimate pursuit, not that you accumulate a bunch of stuff, not that you get a bunch of money, not that you get everybody to like you in the here and now, not that you get revenge or vindication for wrongs that you feel like you've suffered. Make your ultimate pursuit Jesus Christ and what he's called you to do. I recently was just reading a book and one of the chapters of the book was about William Wilberforce, who was a member of parliament in England a couple hundred years ago. And what William Wilberforce is best known for is that he absolutely passionately opposed the slave trade and slavery. And this was at a time when slavery was so tied into the economics of Britain that it was highly unpopular for him to take this stance. And he passionately advocated for the end of the slave trade. And he did it month after month and year after year. He suffered slander. He suffered death threats. He suffered just the normal things that we all suffer in life where we have sick children or we deal with physical ailments of our own. We deal with the distractions and the discouragement. Year after year, he kept on this journey. Decade after decade, he kept on this journey. In fact, while, while he lived and got to see the abolition of the slave trade, he died only a couple days after slavery itself was finally abolished. This was from his early 20s to his dying day, his absolute quest because he was captured by the redemption that he had experienced in Jesus Christ. And he knew he had a calling before God. That's what it's like to pursue. That's what it's like not to be daunted by any obstacles in the way and say, no way, I am after this. And I'm not gonna stop until I've done what God has called me to do. And what is your ultimate pursuit? What is the thing that you won't stop till it's done? And the scary question is then, does it have anything to do with God? Does it have anything to do with what God has called you to? Or are you passionately pursuing getting stuff that one day is gonna fade away and be gone. He says, set your hearts, seek, pursue the things above. And he not only says that, he also says, set your minds, which is a good translation. It just has to do with the idea of think about. 
But it's not just that he's saying, think about Christ, think about godly things, think about eternal things. James Dunn in his commentary on this verse says that the word phreneo, the Greek word here, means not merely to think, but to have a settled way of understanding, to hold an opinion, to maintain an attitude. In fact, it's the word used, if you have an open Bible, just a couple pages before this in Philippians chapter two, verse five, where the apostle Paul writes, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to talk about how Christ Jesus, even though he was fully God, didn't choose to grasp, didn't choose to hold tightly to all the advantages that went along with that, but instead humbled himself and sacrificed himself for all of us. Have that same mindset. Set your mind on things above. Make it your attitude, make it your perspective, make it the grid through which you view the world. Um, that there's a powerful couple of verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 where the Apostle Paul talks about taking every thought captive, um, which if, if you just hear it out of context, you might think, oh, well, well that's, a, that's a verse about um, personal purity and not having lustful thoughts. And it, it certainly has application there, but that's not actually what the verse is talking about. It's talking about arguments. It's talking about worldview. It's talking about that Satan wants to give us a grid for reality that's gonna lead us away from Christ, that's gonna convince us that his way is not worth it and convince us to take the easy, quick way out with sin now and he says but we take every thought captive that's the same thing paul is talking about here he's saying there's all kinds of messages that you're getting but you actively take a stance to say no i'm not going to entertain that thought i'm not going to go down that road i'm not going to believe that lie in fact maybe i'm going to stop listening to that podcast watching that TV show, spending so much time around that friend, even listening to those songs because they're consistently reminding me of a mindset that isn't right and isn't true. And I know even right now we're separated from each other largely, but man, one of the ways that we do this, one of the ways that we set our minds on what's true is just by being around other believers in Jesus who have that mindset. And if we are constantly surrounded by people who don't believe in Jesus, and so their mindset has nothing to do with him, and then we're watching TV shows made by people that have nothing to do with them, and watching movies by people that have nothing to do with them, and listening to music from people that have nothing to do with them, and reading magazine articles and websites and books that have nothing to do with them, it's not going to be strange that we would end up buying into a mindset that's very different than the mindset that Jesus would have us have. I just want to encourage you, even during this time where we're not able to physically be together in the same ways, make sure that you are in contact with other believers who are going to help you see reality the way that you're meant to see it, who are going to help you see sin for the lie that it is and help you see the sacrifices that are required for following Jesus as being worthwhile, even when they're difficult in the short term. What is your pursuit What is your mindset? The apostle Paul says, because we've been raised in Christ, it's all been made new. 
And that doesn't mean that what we're seeing is a bunch of things that other people aren't seeing. But what it does mean is that the way that we're seeing them is different because we have a new focus and that focus is Jesus Christ. He says, we have a new focus for the present. And then in verses three and four, he also says, we have a new basis for the future. So verse three says four. So it starts with that. It starts with the idea of I'm going to tell you why you should do all these things. I'm going to tell you why you should actively pursue what God has called you to do. I'm going to I'm going to tell you why you should actively set your mind on this because there are going to be times that you're going to get tired of it. There's going to be times that you're going to be tem- tempted to jump ship. There are going to be times where it's not going to seem worthwhile. So Paul needs to give us a reason. And so he says four. Here's why you do it. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And Paul does something that he does frequently in his letters. And and this is really, really powerful. He doesn't simply say, do this because God told you to. Now, God, more than any other parent in existence, could certainly pull out the card, do it because I told you to do it. And at the same time, Paul doesn't say, I'm telling you to do this just because God told you to do it and you need to be obedient. He's saying, do this because of your identity. Do this not because it's what you do, but because it's who you are. You died with Christ. We talked about this last week from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. The old is gone, the new has come. Now, we, we don't often feel like the old is actually gone and we still deal with the battle with sin and temptation and with the world and the devil. All of that is very much alive. And at the same time, we have been transformed. One day we will be completely transformed, but we have been transformed. We have died and been raised to new life in Christ. He says, do this because it's your identity. In fact, listen to what he says. He says, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. It's hidden. And the reason he says it's hidden with Christ in God is because what we are is not yet clear to people around us. Now that actually puts us in good company because Jesus, when he was here on the earth, what he was, who he was, was not obvious to the people around him. He was born humbly in a manger. If from the start people had known who he was, that never would have been how his birth happened because people would have fawned all over him and made sure he got a proper entrance into the world. Jesus was largely cast off. He was largely rejected. In fact, you just think there's certain passages that you want to scream at people to say, if you only knew who Jesus was. There's a time where Jesus goes back to the town that he grew up in and he goes to the synagogue and he starts preaching there. And the people around basically say, isn't this Jesus who we all grew up with? Who does he think he is? Who does he think he is? He's the son of God. He is eternal. He's going to be the Lord who rules forever and ever. What he was, was not obvious. And that's why he was cast off. That's why he was rejected. That's why he was ultimately crucified. 
Jesus' true identity was veiled. There were some times that the veil was pulled back, certainly when he did miracles, and that led a lot of people to believe in him. It still led a lot of people not. Sometimes it was pulled back even further, and we we got to see him more clearly, like at the Transfiguration, when he gets John and James and Peter, and he goes up on a hill, and his glory shines through, and they see him much more clearly for who he is as the eternal Son of God. But in many ways, Jesus, while he was here on earth, his true identity was hidden. And what Paul is saying is, while we're here on this earth, our true identity is hidden. Very few people are looking at Christians and saying, there are the privileged children and heirs of the living God. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, you know, the people that God chooses, most of us are not impressive. We're not terribly rich. We're not terribly noble. We're not terribly good looking. We're we're not terribly smart. We, We don't stand out as the privileged people of God. Our identity is currently veiled our true identity as the eternal sons of God is not, not us being the eternal sons of God, but for the rest of eternity being the children of God, that is veiled right now. It's hidden with Christ. And so we live in the reality that who we are has not yet been revealed, but that doesn't mean that it's not who we are. Because while we live now, we live in light of a future reality. While we live now, we live in light of the king that we believe is coming even though he's not here yet. And I love um, the, the old stories of Robin Hood. And I know that there's lots of movie versions, there's lots of book versions, there's even the Disney cartoon version. I love the story of Robin Hood because at its core, here's what the story is about. It's about a false king on the throne who's usurped. It's about a true king who is currently away and being anticipated And then it's about a bunch of people choosing whether they're going to be loyal to the usurper on the throne or to the true king who's far away. And they live in the question, when is King Richard going to come back? When is he going to come back? Because he's the good king and he's the just king and he's going to fix things in in the land. And some people think he's never coming back. He's gone, he's dead, he's imprisoned, he's never getting back. We might as well make the best of Prince John, King John, and just adjust to the way that things are right now. But Robin Hood and his men and his people are living out in the forest. They're outlaws and outcasts. They are not the privileged people of society. They are cast out of polite society because they're loyal to the true king who is away, but will one day come back. Nobody would look at Robin Hood and his men and say, those are clearly the most noble, true citizens in all the land. But the fact is, that is exactly what they are and a day came where their true identity was revealed. As what Paul talks about in verse four, he says, when Christ, who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And before talking about this, I I just got to take a pause here. He says, Christ, who is your life? Man, we have 
so many issues with identity in our culture right now. And, and you know this just, just through social media, because on social media, there, there's always some quiz, you know, which Harry Potter house, which Hogwarts house do you belong to? Which Disney princess are you? Which Avenger are you? We're, we're constantly dealing with this. We're going through personality tests. We're going through the Enneagram. We're, we're constantly trying to figure out who we are. And my point isn't even just to rag on all those other things where we try to get insight about ourselves, but the point is this. We know that identity is important. We know that who we believe ourselves to be at the core is going to drive what we do. And what Paul says here is when Christ, who is your life, appears, we will appear with him in glory. Christ, who is our life. Everything that we are is bound up in the fact that we have been brought into the family of God through the Son of God. We have an inheritance. We have safety. We have forgiveness. We have adoption. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit. We have eternal life promised to us. Our identity is in Christ, and that drives all that we do. When Christ, who is your life, appears. And now let's finish the sentence. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And one day Jesus is going to come back. It's going to be physical. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be visible. And you don't have to worry about whether you're going to miss out because Jesus said as lightning shines in one side of the sky and everybody else sees it, even if they're far away from it, everybody's going to know his coming. It is going to be unmistakable. When Jesus comes back, his true identity is going to be revealed. All of the doubters are suddenly going to realize that he is the eternal son of God. His true identity is going to be revealed. And our true identity is going to be revealed. So, you know, right now, you, you might be taking some stands for Jesus that make you kind of unpopular, that lead to people calling you names, that lead to people leaving you out of stuff that's made you miss out on a promotion or miss out on a job or miss out on a friendship or even have to end a relationship because of it. There are things that we lose out on because we follow Jesus now but our true identity will one day be revealed. And he says, it's going to be glorious. Man, why can we live our lives making Jesus our ultimate pursuit? Because one day he's coming back and every sacrifice is going to be made worth it. When King Richard returned, Robin Hood and all of the loyal subjects were revealed to be the truest citizens in all the land. They were rewarded for all the sacrifices that they made while he was away. And we get the privilege of looking forward to the reality that when Jesus comes back, we will be revealed to be citizens of heaven. We'll be revealed to be the children of God. We don't have to worry about vindicating ourselves. We don't have to worry about defending ourselves. We don't have to worry about rewarding ourselves because God is going to take care of all of that in Jesus. We may live as outcasts now because our true home and our true king have still yet to be revealed. I want to ask you a question that brings us back to what we talked about before. Man, what is your biggest pursuit right now? What is it that you're after? What is it that you're setting your mind on, setting your heart on, and nothing's going to stop you from getting? Is it 
that you want to accumulate a bunch of stuff? Is it that you want to be really popular and well-liked with people around you? Is it that you just want to occupy yourself and wait out the clock until this whole quarantine thing is over and occupy yourself and distract yourself? Is it that? Is that the pursuit that's going on right now? One of the things that we know trials do is that trials reveal. And maybe right now the trial of this quarantine and and the coronavirus, maybe this right now is revealing in yourself some things that are kind of unpleasant to come to grips with. And you're realizing, you know what? I, I am a pretty materialistic person and I'm upset that I don't get to do some of these things. You know what? I am a pretty selfish person and I've been snapping at my family and just upset all the time about what's going on because I feel infringed upon. Man, I, I am an easily distracted person. Man, I used to say if I just had more time, I'd read the Bible more. I got more time. I'm not reading the Bible more. You may be coming to some unpleasant realities about yourself. And if you're coming to realize those unpleasant realities, here's what that reveals. What that reveals is that all the more you need to embrace this new perspective. If you're a believer in Jesus, you've been made new. Let's live in that newness. Let's live in the anticipation that Jesus is coming back to bring final reward. And so we have the opportunity now to set our minds and to set our hearts, to make our pursuit and to make our mindset completely centered around the King who's coming back for us one day. And if you're finding that your pursuits are out of skew, it's because your grid is out of skew. Your perspective is out of skew. And a grid that tells you that what often seems most important to us is passing away. And what often seems most difficult to us is what will bring the greatest reward. That's the new grid that we get to have. That we get to look at the reward that sin brings and say, that's temporary, that's not worth it. And we get to look at the sacrifices we make for Jesus and say, man, whatever it costs, I trust the reward and I trust the one who's gonna be giving the reward. And when in the midst of all of this, you get discouraged, When during this time, as you're continuing to pursue life in Christ, as you're fighting against sin, as you're looking at the world new, when you start to get discouraged, you get to remember that you know the end of the story. You get to remember that the king one day is coming back and not only will his true identity be revealed, but our true identity will be revealed with him. Let me go ahead and and wrap up our time in prayer now. Father, I want to pray for, um, for myself and I want to pray for all of us who are listening and watching right now. And Father, we confess we are easily distracted. We're easily taken off track. We often pursue things that are just meaningless and we often make our mindset things that are completely apart from what you're calling us to think or to do. Father, I pray that you lead us, especially during this season of time that we really get to take a good look at ourselves. I pray that you lead us to make Jesus our ultimate pursuit and where we set our minds. Father, I pray that you lead us to repentance where we need to be in the areas where we've sought our own temporary pleasure instead of seeking what you're calling us to do. I pray that you lead each one of us to be clear on the pursuits that you're calling us to and that you give us the strength and the hope 
to follow through on those. We pray that you do great work in our lives and we pray that you shine the light of the gospel of Jesus so that even though our true identity hasn't yet been revealed, there are people that will have the opportunity to see that true identity and see Jesus' true identity and come to be rescued. We pray this in the name of our great Savior and coming King, Jesus Christ. Amen. And God bless you the rest of this Sunday and the rest of this week.